It's Wednesday, February 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker, and from Motley Fool One, Brian White. Happy Wednesday, gents. Happy Thank you, Chris. Thank you both for surviving the snow. Once again, snowing outside here in Northern Virginia. There was a solid inch and a half, maybe. I was going to say it's it. it <laughs> from where we are, somehow we all got into work. Yeah. Well, from where we are on the fourth floor of, of our building here at Full Global Headquarters, you just look outside and the visibility is pretty low. But then you look down at the ground, and you, to your point, it's not really sticking. Um, we're going to talk food, drink, and entertainment. Hey, no. uh, but before we get to the earnings, uh, I want to mention uh, tomorrow night, Thursday night, we are taping the Motley Fool Money radio show in front of a live audience at the Kogod School of Business at American University. We did this last year. Really? We're doing it again this year. Yeah. It's exciting. On. That is exciting. And it's it's sort of – it's not necessarily in your neck of the woods. It's where you used to live. But it's I, closer I, to you than Fool HQ is. So come on by. There's I, I, I got I to gotta coach tomorrow. Do you? But yeah. – but, how late are you coaching? Because we're, we're going to tape the radio show from 7 to 8, and then oh. re- reception afterwards, food and drink. Well, I'll be I'll be with a bunch of 10-year-old girls um, uh, from, from their basketball practice. Should okay. I bring them by? Um, Will they enjoy it? I don't uh, I don't know if they're going to enjoy it. Why hem and haw like that? <laughs> it's an easy question. I'll try it again. I'll be with some 10-year-old girls. Will they enjoy it? Absolutely. There'll be food. <laughs> there'll be soft drinks. I won't be drinking the soft drinks, but someone will need to, and it'll be them. Um, let's get into the earnings. Let's start with Middleby. Uh, fourth quarter, Brian. Holy cow. Do I have these numbers right? Profits up 36%, revenue up nearly 40%. Yeah, you they're, got the numbers right. They're cr- so no wonder that the stock is up more than 11% this morning. Um, this is a company you watch closely. It's yeah. uh, holding in the everlasting portfolio. Uh, I mean, holy cow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the thing—the thing for investors to uh, <clears throat> look at with Middleby is you're typically going to see some impressive top-line growth because the acquisition strategy that this company uses. So they're constantly rolling up uh, smaller businesses and um, running them through Middleby's system, improving margins. So the first thing you really want to look at with Middleby is profitability margins, and they continue to improve. Um, and then on top of that, there's <clears throat> some really nice long-term growth dynamics. Um, one I'll point out that uh, CEO Salim Basul pointed out on the call was you know, emerging markets is really going to be a growth story for Middleby on two fronts. Number one, food processing is a big business for Middleby and demand from emerging markets for pre-processed food, pre-packaged food um, is likely to be a long-term tailwind for the business. And then also food safety. We know this from young brands and some of the challenges yeah. they've had in China is that'll be a major issue, and Middleby plays right into that too. So with Middleby, it's just another quarter of uh, just – Essentially, they're very, very good at integrating these acquisitions and taking a business that uh, is sort of average to below average and putting it into their system and really not only growing the top line, but truly improving the profitability of the business. That's impressive when you consider that for a lot of companies, regardless of the industry, acquisitions are tough to pull off well. Mm -hmm. I am curious, though. When you look at the next five to ten years, because when I think of Middleby, and I don't own the stock, but I just think of it as, oh, yeah, they're the people who make the ovens that are in many, many different restaurant chains across America. Is that the future? Well, that's one of their growth legs is is just the expansion of these big brands that we know here in the U.S., but the expansion over to emerging markets and international. Um, So that's part of it. And then also is 
is at home. There's, you know, the new acquisition they made last year of Viking. They're really doing a really good job of improving Viking. So they're going from the home to the restaurant and the chain all the way out to emerging markets. There, there's a lot of different growth avenues. Uh, yeah, this goes back uh, Middleby to my Hidden Gems days uh, nine years ago. This was a, a pretty yeah. big uh, focus in, in Hidden Gems. Uh, had been recommended a number of times and was one of the best performing uh, recommendations for Tom Gardner uh, even back then. And, uh, you know, we're talking nine years ago, continued to have uh, growth that I think has surprised a lot of people. And, um, you know, there's still a whole world to conquer, really. Uh, as, a, as a small mid-cap stock, it's, it's still got a, a, a lot of room. Well, that's the thing. And a lot of time. I mean, this, this is not, you know, a, a sudden story here. Well, that's the thing that struck me when I was looking at some of the numbers this morning, the market cap for Middleby is only about five and a half billion. I would yeah. have thought, given all the growth, and I mean, I remember it when you guys were covering it in Hidden Gems back in 05 and 06, and I thought, gosh, it's got to be bigger than that, but it's, it's, it's really, to your point, Bill, it really is a mid-cap. Yeah, well, Hidden Gems was, at the time, you know, seeking to recommend small caps below $2 billion, you know, max, and it was so, it was significantly smaller than that back then, and, you know, just a little bit of a demonstration of the story of compounding over uh, a decade or longer. Brian, what do you say to someone who is listening to us and thinks, oh, I'm going to check this out, and then sees... Oh, the stock is trading at an all-time high. I mean, it's hitting yet another all-time high today. It appears on the surface to be an expensive stock. Is it? Or or is it a stock that you have to look at and say, look, if you want to buy it here at an all-time yeah. high, keep in mind it's not cheap. And oh, by the way, you better have a pretty lengthy time horizon. Well, I think for Middleby, the one thing to understand is, is, is for investors, Middleby is a story of finding a capital allocator in a fragmented industry. And, and, and uh, it, that is something that is sort of precious for an investor. If you can find a fragmented industry and you can trust the capital allocator, which in this case is the CEO behind the business, to kind of roll that industry up, there is, like Bill said, a long timeline for growth. And, and for Middleby, you know, with a market cap of five or six billion, they've got a long ways to go. Is the stock expensive today? Expensive today? The one thing I would say, Chris, when you look at the market today, it's hard not to. I don't want to use the word expensive, but understand that it's not just middle. Be a, right. a lot of companies have risen with the market over the past four or five years. So to, you're not going to find a high quality business that you can call, you know, quote-unquote cheap today. It's hard to find. Yeah, Middleby's at an all-time high today, and, and so is the market. Uh, yeah. And and it it is true. There are a lot of uh, companies that are in the middle, or you know, at some point uh, along the spectrum of of having a lot of success. And the market has recognized those companies already. Uh, if you're in buying today, it is hopefully with uh, willingness to participate in five. 10 years of, of what will be some ups and downs. But, uh, you know, if Middleby has anything approaching the, the next 10 years uh, for the last, as it's enjoyed for the last 10, then it'll be a successful investment. Fourth quarter profits for Boston Beer Company came in lower than expected. They also lowered guidance, Brian. But shares, when I looked at them this morning, they were only down 1% or 2%. Yeah. So this couldn't have been too bad a quarter. Well, I think the underlying story is on margins on their profitability where they missed big on earnings. The uh, One of the big issues they faced was they didn't expect the demand that 
that they received in the quarter, so there was some higher expectations or higher costs to meet that demand. That's not a bad story, right? right? <laughs> I mean, that that's that's really not so depletions. It was up were up twenty percent. What depletions are is Samuel Adams sells their beer into distributors, and then distributors. Um, ship the beer into the retailers where we as consumers buy it. So depletions measures the uh, growth of uh, sales from the distributor into the retailer, and up 20% is healthy. It's really healthy. Um, so everything except profitability looked good in the quarter for Sam Adams. There was some supply chain issues. So there was a mix of, of a few issues, but underlying all of that, demand is strong, and that's what long-term you know, investors should, be, should care most about. Yeah, you know, a company, a stock that's had had the kind of run that this has yeah, had, a growth stock yes. uh, for the stumbled – look, earnings matter. Uh, and if it misses earnings, that's going to affect the stock price of a, you know, stock that's up 80 percent uh, last year and, and, you know, 100 percent in 2010 and uh, similar amounts uh, in, in the years around there. Uh, so the, the missing earnings does matter a little bit. But if you're going to miss earnings because – you were unable to efficiently meet demand. Uh, that's probably the best version of an earnings miss that, <laughs> right. that you want because they're a company which is capable of efficiently meeting that demand in the future. Where do you see the beer industry as a whole going over the next five years or so? I'm just because we've seen. Uh, you could look at the beer industry over the last decade and say one of the dominant storylines um, from the business standpoint is uh, the rise of craft brewers. We've also yeah. seen a lot yeah, of yeah. consolidation. Yep. Um, I, is there more consolidation to go? I'm just wondering at what point an Ambev, a Grupo Modelo, looks at Boston Beer Company and says, um, let's sit down at a table and we're going to write a figure uh, on a piece of paper, and let's see if this works for you. Uh, you know, sooner or later, I think the, those companies, and it's hard to say, uh, you know, what the right kind of numbers is for that, because of course, one of the attractions of drinking Boston beer is that it's not owned yep. uh, by Budweiser, Ambever, or you know, whoever, and that you're, you know, got that feeling that you're doing something independent. Right. You know, at some level, uh, uh, you're striking a blow for freedom. Exactly, <laughs> and and so if if they're acquired, it's going to lose some of its cachet. And and you know how many others are there to take up the mantle? Um, more and more and more all the time. So it's kind of a fine balance as to what kind of you know if 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 an Ambev is looking to acquire Boston Beer and is basing its purchase price on its ability to expand well beyond what what Boston Beer does today uh how how do you calculate how mu- how many uh you know customers you're going to lose by being you know less indie uh by that transaction i don't know i think and i think Boston Beer is a big part of Jim Cook's life, you know, the founder. And <clears throat> I don't think, I think the offer would have to be pretty pretty darn big. And I'm not so sure anytime soon that he's ready to give that up. I think he really enjoys uh, running the business. DreamWorks Animation's big movie last year was Turbo. Uh, if you missed it, it's about a garden snail that races in the Indy 500. I got to say, I've seen it with my kids better than that description uh, makes it sound. Uh, Turbo took in over $280 million worldwide at the box office, and yet shares of DreamWorks Animation are down more than 13% today after their fourth quarter results 
And the headline, Bill Barker, is essentially blaming Turbo. $280 million is a lot of money. Not enough. Apparently not enough. You watch DreamWorks animation closely. Do you look at this and think, wow, you didn't manage your costs well? Because as a Disney shareholder, there have been times when I've looked at it and said, particularly when it comes to the movie studios, you mismanaged your costs. You spent too much on marketing, and that's why Movie X, John Carter being one example, was such a astronomical flop. Yeah, Turbo was not a flop uh, of that magnitude. There was a $15 million, something like that, right down uh, for the costs here. But uh, in part, look, this came out in the summer, and it immediately didn't do the numbers that was expected of it, Turbo. And Jeffrey Katzenberg blamed that in part on a perfect storm of competition in the theaters, uh, which uh, included uh, the third week of uh, one of the animated movies. I can't remember like which. Monsters University or Despicable Me Too or something like something that? Something like that. And also it opened up against a horror movie that week. And I thought, <laughs> like, this, th- you no longer get to use Perfect Storm. For, like, this is a once in a generation, you know, weekend where we've got the third week of a popular movie still in the theaters. And a horror movie out, and we put our movie up against that. So it it was not a perfect storm of competition that was affecting the first week. The weakness of the movie to attract enough customers to justify the, the you know total creation price continued throughout the various other channels. You know, yes, it did a lot of international. Yes, it, you know, it'll it'll get money through cable and things like that, but. You know, it's it's an industry which is very hit and miss, and DreamWorks has improved some, but not all, of the the nature of that business by expanding into television. It's got a, a print venture, um, and it, it's doing things that will smooth out its earnings. Uh, but just like Pixar back in the day, and Lionsgate, and and other uh, you know entities like that, this this is a company which will have quarterly numbers which are very lumpy. And it was up as a stock 100 percent last year. So if it doesn't hit its numbers this quarter, you're going to see as as we're seeing today a 13 percent hit. If you've owned it, you know throughout the last 13 months, you're probably not suffering too much from from today's you know uh, retreat. They do have. Things in the pipeline connected to franchises like Kung Fu Panda and Madagascar. And yet, I was struck by this sentence in one of the reports I saw this morning. DreamWorks expects its full year 2014 results to be helped by the release of Mr. Peabody and Sherman in March in the United States and How to Train Your Dragon 2 in June. How to Train Your Dragon, fabulous movie. I'm sure the sequel will do very well. As you and I talked about, Bill, on the Motley Fool Asset Management semi-annual shareholder call, Mr. Peabody Sherman just looks like DreamWorks' next write-down. Well, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, we're all, we're all rooting for, for Peabody and Sherman. I'm not. <laughs> You're not? I'm not a shareholder. Were you not a fan back in the day? <laughs> back in the day, and that's why I'm not rooting for this movie, because it looks nothing like the cartoon I remember, and I'm not a shareholder, so I have no reason to but root they, for They it. look like Peabody and Sherman in the commercials. <laughs> I've been a little bit more 3D, a little bit more computer-rendered. Let's wrap up with business movies. You can always email us, radio at fool.com. We've been talking about our favorite movies about business and investing all week. Uh, got an email from Brian Trustell who uh, said his favorite is How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Classic, classic 
Broadway play and classic movie. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at MarketFoolery. We got a tweet from at Rob Rob who wrote, a great movie that demonstrates what could happen when a business cuts corners and only moves the headstones, Poltergeist. I never really thought of wow. Poltergeist as a business movie, but they, you know, you could look at it as, yeah, the real estate company, they, they had that business angle. We're just going to move the headstones. They didn't move the bodies. Hope I didn't spoil that for anyone. But then again, the movie's <laughs> 30 years old. Uh, Bill Barker, uh, a favorite business investing money movie for our dozens of listeners. You know, I'm going to toss one out that not enough listeners are going to be familiar with and uh and and it's differentiated from most of the movies that have been mentioned here because uh business and businessmen come off very poorly typically in in movies you know business is big business is big the- business it it is the bad guy right uh and uh a movie from the mid 80s uh local hero uh is what i'm going to recommend and it's a pretty small movie uh, Bill Forsyth was the director and had uh, Burt Lancaster and Peter Egert. And it's about a business attempt. Sounds sounds awful. A business's attempt, a Houston oil company, to build a refinery in Scotland by buying out uh, a town, buying the whole town. Uh, and it's it's that sounds like an evil uh, plan, but the uh, people in that small town are perfectly willing <laughs> to sell their town and ultimately you watch the movie but it's it's all got a happy ending and and the the very very rich businessman um at at the end sort of saves the day and and uh every everybody's a good guy in it there there are no bad guys check it out all right brian white a movie about business investing money what do you got i would go with jerry Maguire. show me the money Oscar nominee, Oscar winner too. Was it? Did that also win best screenplay? Cuba Gooding Jr. won. Cuba, of, of <laughs> course. What a- for basically, I think saying, "Show me the money." I mean, I think without that scene, Cuba Gooding winner is Oscarless. I mean, he's very, very good in that movie. But you're right; that is one of those scenes that I think if you're an actor, you sort of look at it and go, "Oh yeah, that's that's the." That's the key scene for the character. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is that is most of what people remember from, from the movie. I think that's a good, I think you guys just gave our listeners a great double feature. You know, Jerry Maguire and then Local Hero. I like it. All right, Brian White, Bill Barker. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.